Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering online master's degrees in elementary education, higher education, and early childhood education. Your master's degree can be earned online in as little as one to two years. More information at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi Senator Roger Wicker on the latest stopgap budget deal in Washington. Then it's Friday night football across the state. We'll look at preventing sports injuries in the often brutal sport. Later, guarding prostate health and getting the word out. And texting and driving in Mississippi. Is the state's new law working? Well, the law one is, wasn't written. It was kind of poorly written. It, I don't know that it was a knee-jerk reaction, but it was, you know, it, the year before they tried to pass something and it, get, it didn't go through the House and Senate. So the following year they, they did pass something. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. stopgap budget deal will fund the federal government until after the presidential election. Lawmakers reached the agreement shortly before recessing. Mississippi Republican Senator Roger Wicker spoke with MPB's Desiree Frazier about voting for the budget. He says the deal isn't perfect, but it's acceptable and the government has to stay funded to run. I have a suspicion that there was a little bit of politics being played. Uh, Actually, there, um, there are a number of Republican incumbents who needed to get home a couple of weeks ago and start campaigning. And about all we had left to do before uh, the the break was to uh, get these temporary spending bills done. So uh, I'm uh, not convinced we we weren't being a little bit slow walked on that. You also, um, the Senate had passed a bill already that covered uh, Flint, gave them funding for water. Is that not correct? Well, that's true, and that's the Water Resources Development Act, the WERDA bill, passed uh, the Senate with strong bipartisan support from Senator Inhofe, our chairman, and Senator Boxer, the ranking Democrat. Um, it was uh, amended on the on the floor of uh, the United States House, and uh, we had always felt that took care of, uh, of, of of that particular issue for Flint, Michigan. So it was sort of a false issue to say it should also be addressed in the temporary continuing resolution for uh, spending to keep the government open. But, you know, there was some back and forth there, and we got it done. Um, the, um, the, the In the end, the bill that was previously defeated uh, on a party line vote, just about was uh, was passed the next day with the exact same wording, and we were able to fund the government as we knew we would be able to do at last year's level, with no increased spending and uh, and keep the uh, keep the government open until December ninth, uh, 
when we'll have um, a little more time in the lame duck session uh, to to flesh out this year's concerns of the appropriations process. Ever a concern that there might be a government shutdown? Were you ever I worried never thought, it wouldn't happen? I never thought there was a chance of a government shutdown. I, I know sometimes it's talked about and bandied about in the press. We've had those before, but this was not a year when that was going to happen. Uh, there were a couple of little wrinkles and some uh, partisan points made, as we sometimes do in Washington. But uh, I was always confident that we would get it done before but before the end of the month, which is when the fiscal year runs out. Some might wonder why pass a budget until December 9th. Well, uh, the, the choice would have been uh, to pass the continuing resolution to give us a little time in the lame duck session after the November 8th election to actually work Congress's will on on spending legislation. The other the other thing would have been simply to do the continuing resolution uh, on into next year, and basically that would have just continued all the programs as there were, and uh, it would have tossed away a lot of hard work on the on the part of our appropriations committees. So uh, by doing more of a short-term continuing bill, uh, we're able to make the changes that I, I think the American people are calling for on various programs, including a lot more uh, funding for disease research, cancer research, heart, Alzheimer's, and things like that. Congress overrode President Obama's veto, passing into law for the first time a measure that allows families of those killed in 9-11 to sue Saudi Arabia. Well, yes, uh, and and what it did was amend the Sovereign Immunity Act to allow that sort of lawsuit. Um, this had been a really a decade and a half issue where the families of the 9-11 victims felt they should at least be able to make their case. And, and this will allow the cases to go forward in a court of law before um, um, a jury or uh, a finder of fact and, and, and let the chips fall where they may. The president had expressed some concern that this would hurt him uh, on an international basis and and, and um, make it harder for diplomats and soldiers. In the end, I think we crafted it carefully enough so that that's not the case, and we're able to get uh, a day in court for 9-11 victims and their families that they've been really denied for 15 years or more. So the act that you mentioned, does that prevent countries from being sued? Well, the the overall uh, law that was in place did, in fact, prevent that kind of suit. So this bill that we overrode and enacted into law over the president's veto will allow that sort of lawsuit against uh, Saudi Arabia. MPB's Desiree Fraser with Senator Roger Wicker on the latest stopgap budget deal approved by Congress on Wednesday. Up next, it's Friday Night Football across the state. We'll look at preventing sports injuries in the often brutal sport. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. You have a big decision to make on November 8th. A date which will live Ask not in, in, in watch your Mr. Gorbachev. We will keep this promise to the American people. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Hey, y'all, I'm Felder Rushing. Ain't it a great day? Now, my truck stands out around town. A garden in the back will do that. You can make your car truck stand out with the new MPB Car Tag. MPB Car Tag. 
It's a great way to show your support for MPB. Visit mpbonline.org and sign up for yours today. Woohoo! This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. It's Friday night football across Mississippi. High school athletes will be crashing into each other while fighting it out on the field. And all of the athletes face the possibility of severe injury. Dr. Brian Tollefson treats some of those injuries. An assistant professor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, Tollefson also conducts research on sports-related injuries and how to prevent them. He tells MPB's Sid Scott most injuries are minor, but the major ones can be life-changing. In the high school range, we see mostly it's, it's kind of strains and sprains. We do occasionally see some fractures and uh, sports concussions. Um, those are kind of more, are more serious stuff that we see. Um, but for the most part, it's kind of strains and sprains that might put them out for a, you know, a week or so, and then usually they get back, back to it the same season. And when we're talking about sports-related injuries, concussions have certainly risen to the forefront in recent years. Do you think awareness is different than it used to be? Oh yeah, it's it's uh, vastly different than just you know a few years ago. It's coaches recognize it now. They have to take a, a class before the season and, and sign off that they're aware of you know the implications and and kind of the treatment of uh, concussions. And there's actually state laws in all 50 states now that kind of mandate how we treat uh, sports concussions. From a physician's standpoint, from the standpoint of someone who treats and does research, uh, is, is that a is that a good thing for us? Do you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's you know I can remember back when I was when I was playing football, you you know see kids get concussions all the time. They just kind of kept playing and you know might have a headache for a couple of weeks, but they were seldom taken out of out of play if they could still function. And now it's you know if they have any indication that they've had a concussion, they're out and they have to go through the protocol to return to play. Yeah, because back in the day it was all about it still is about being tough. It's still oh, yeah. it's a tough sport, but back in the day, the day you proved how tough you were by wanting back in no matter yeah, what. Absolutely. In your work there, you do treating and research. Talk, talk to me about some of the research. Uh, most of the, the research I do is, is in the area of, of sports medicine and uh, ultrasound, both musculoskeletal ultrasound and emergency ultrasound. We usually have a, a project or two going on that um, in the, mostly in the emergency department because we have uh, you know, a lot of patients that we can get into the studies in there. The one we just finished up was a ultrasound study looking at pediatric patients with uh, suspected appendicitis. Now, in addition, we talked about the attitudes around concussions in particular changing. Have, have there been any, been any advancements in prevention or treatment of, of some of the more serious injuries you see in the recent years? Yeah, unfortunately, there there is not a lot you can do with once a person gets a concussion. It's it's more or less just letting the body heal itself and the brain heal itself. The kind of the emphasis now is on you know finding markers that can pick up when someone has kind of a subclinical concussion where they don't have necessarily outward signs of it, and then finding better ways to prevent them. And and that comes through rule changes, you know, in football, which they're implementing even in the NFL, and, uh, um, you know, better equipment for the players. Yeah, because then the idea there is catch it as early as possible. Correct. Yeah, Yeah. don't let them go back and play with a concussion because that's when they can really damage their brains. If a concussion doesn't go, doesn't get checked, how serious can it be for a, for a younger athlete, and just immediately and down the line? 
Yeah, the the thing that we worry about most, and you hear about a couple of these cases every year, is a thing called second impact syndrome. And that's where they go back to play before their first concussion is completely healed. And then a subsequent blow to the head causes just catastrophic effects. And and usually um, they either die or, or have very severe debilitation from brain injury. And would that be some of the things we've seen in some of the more seasoned and older NFL players where they're, they're, they have those continued um, later in life ramifications? That, that's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. That, that, they think, is more related to repeated concussions over time. The one, the second impact syndrome is something that happens more acutely, and they actually will, will collapse and die right in front of you on the football field. Wow. Um, and that's what, you know, that's the thing that makes the news, and, we, and it's, it's one of the dangers of going back to play with a concussion. I know that there was a, a high school player in Mississippi in the area a couple of years ago who died from some kind of electrolyte imbalance or an issue around hydrating. Do you deal with those kind of things, too? Yeah, we, we do, and, and you always have to be a little careful because, you know, now it's even recognized more that, you know, especially in the, in the South with heat injuries early in the football season in, in, in practice, that they're pushing them to drink so much fluid, and you can actually get into trouble by drinking too much fluid as well where your sodium levels drop down, and that can cause things like brain swelling and, and seizures and things like that as well. That's hard to treat once it gets started, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It? Yeah, it can be very difficult. Dr. Brian Tollefson is an assistant professor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and he's been talking with us about sports-related injuries. I appreciate your making the time, Dr. Tollefson. Sure. Thank you. Up next, guarding prostate health and getting the word out. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. There's a lot to be discovered about Mississippi. Like the little-known places you can visit on a Mississippi road trip. Or where to find a local brewery for a unique experience. Every Friday morning at 10, we take you on an hour-long journey through Mississippi. It's music, cuisine, culture, and history. And you never know where our next stop will be. I'm Mary Margaret Miller. And I'm Sharita Brent. Be sure to join us Friday mornings at 10 for Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. It's Friday night football. Oh, excuse me. Mississippi has one of the highest prostate cancer rates in the nation. As many as 127 out of every 100,000 men in the state will develop or die from the disease. That's according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. At the Fannie Lou Hamer Cancer Foundation, they're trying to do something about it. The organization just graduated its largest class of volunteers. 44 men will fan out across their communities to promote awareness and the importance of early detection. Lennon Butts participated in the training. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he has been screened and he's giving other men the reasons they should be screened too. So many times people are not aware of different health issues and we want to bring this to the forefront so they can take advantage of it and bring about early detection. Now I understand um, a class just graduated of 44. What were some of the lessons that you learned about prostate cancer that you didn't know? Uh, well, that it's not a death sentence. 
if you catch it in the early stage, it is treatable and can be cured, and men can still go on and live a very productive life. Now, have you had prostate cancer? Uh, no, I have not. So what will you guys be doing to get the word out? Uh, we have different health fairs, uh, send out flyers, uh, go door-to-door uh, and target a group of men that we know that haven't had screenings and let them know that they can have two different screenings. They can have the PSA or they can go ahead and have the uh, digital prostate exam. Let them know and just make them aware of it. Uh, go out there and, and just put the information out there so it won't be a lack of knowledge. Make sure that inform- just bombard them with information and keep it out there for them. African-American males are three times more likely to have the disease and have it more in advanced stages when it's diagnosed. That's a little frightening. Yes, it is. It definitely is. Uh, and that's, that's why we're here trying to get, it, get the awareness out there so to bring about early detection. Because a lot of times men, for some reason or another, are not willing to do like a yearly wellness exam. And they think they're, I guess we think we're invincible, but uh, we, that's why we want to get that information out there and let them know that cancer is real. Uh, we're not invincible. Go do your, have your wellness checks. And when you catch it early, we can change those st- statistics for the better. Have you met men who are prostate cancer survivors? Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, there was one in our class that was a prostate cancer survivor and one of the men from Cary County class that helped. Um, assisted us to put on our class. He was a prostate cancer survivor. And what was what stood out about him and what he shared with the group? Um, the information that he shared was, um, as far as your health records, you got the right to know. Keep yourself a binder of every time you go to the doctor. Chart your progress. Um, look for any trends, um, especially your PS, PSA levels. Uh, see how it's trending, and, um, and that way you can keep a check on on your health um, just by having something like a binder with all your health information. It's visible, it's tangible, you can see where you're going, how your health is doing, and it makes you more aware and um, you're more apt to get uh, detect everything early if something happens in your body, whether it be prostate cancer or any other type of condition. When you talk about that digital exam, is that the thing that frightens men? I think it is, but I don't see that as a barrier because women have some type of invasive, intrusive exams as well. So I look at it as the women go through uh, what they have to go through, or the men should uh, stand up and be men and, and do it as well. And that's some of the information that we're trying to get out there. Ultimately, do you think you're going to make a difference? Uh, definitely, because um, more men now are even to this day asking what can they do to become a part of that class. They want to know what what do we learn in the class? Um, how can they come and how can they come and join us on the front lines and bring awareness about um, our Montgomery County community? Now, will you be going outside of Montgomery County? Our primary focus is going to be on Montgomery County, but we are also partnering with the Carroll County and LaFleur County men in black and blue fighting prostate cancer. Uh, we are mentoring the Mississippi Valley State University men's basketball team, so we'll be in uh, that county as well. Uh, we're going to probably be uh, in the surrounding area, not necessarily Montgomery County, but our main focus will be on Montgomery County. Have you had your exam? Uh, yes, I had a PSA, and I've already had a, not this year, but um, year, a year ago I had the uh, digital exam. So what are you going to say to men to really encourage them to step out and do this? Um, to let them know that they are valuable as men, they're valuable to their families. Uh, they should be good stewards over what God has blessed them with, and that includes being a good steward of your own health. We just want to make sure that 
people know that we are a group that has a community action plan. We're not just going to sit back. We're going to target different areas, and we got a, a mission and a goal, and we're out there to bring awareness to prostate cancer. MPB's Desiree Fraser with Lennon Butts, who is promoting prostate cancer awareness in Mississippi. Up next, texting and driving in Mississippi is the state's new law working. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Coming up this week on MPB's At Issue, texting and driving. It's a problem across the nation. Has the cell phone below the windows, which makes it even worse because you're having to look down. Traffic crashes are causing thousands of deaths. That could cost not just your life, but anyone else's life. Mississippi has a law banning texting and driving, but is the law working? Are your officers writing tickets for texting and driving? No. We take a closer look at texting and driving on At Issue this Friday at 7.30 p.m. on MPB TV. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. It's a problem across the nation. Traffic crashes from distracted driving are causing injuries and deaths. Mississippi has a law banning texting and driving, but is the law working? Tonight at issue on MPB TV, we'll take a closer look at the law, its purpose, and whether it's being enforced at all. In this clip from tonight's show, at issue executive producer Mark Rigsby talks with Oxford Police Chief Joey East, who says the state's texting and driving law isn't accomplishing what it was set out to do. Well, the law one is, wasn't written. It was kind of poorly written. It, I don't know that it was a knee-jerk reaction, but it was, you know, it, the year before they tried to pass something, it, get, it didn't go through the House and Senate, so the following year they, they did pass something. The law requires us, one, it's civil, so it's not a criminal offense or goes against your driving or your insurance. It's just civil. And, and also, you know, you have to prove that someone was texting or using this device. It, it's And you have to go through a totally different court. So the majority of your tickets are written probably by the Highway Patrol or by a municipality. So for us, we go through a municipality court, and it's all criminal. You know, it's a speeding ticket, stuff like that. Well, this was a justice court citation, which we'd have to go through county, and it's kind of like being sued. So it doesn't have a lot of teeth in it. Most of your officers aren't, aren't using it. And then, you know, someone's holding their phone, and you ask them if they were texting, and they say no. Well, you know, you don't really have a good case there. Are your officers here in Oxford writing tickets for texting and driving? No. We write citations for careless driving. So what they're doing, they're monitoring traffic, and if someone's on the phone, they see that, and they're, they're crossing the line or they're doing something that's dangerous, they will cite them for careless driving. And it, the careless driving law, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. Anything that kind of endangers someone or you're, you're not in proper control of your vehicle and if you're on a device or if you're on the phone or if you're weaving from lane to lane, it's just an easier charge to, do, to, to charge them with. One, it goes against their driving record and infects their insurance. So it, would, it causes people not to want to do that. What we need to do is, is, one, we need to refine the law we got. We need to do more of a distracting law, which includes cell phones, uh, any type of computer device, reading while you're driving, anything that would distract you. There probably should be no cell phone use if it's not Bluetooth-related. So... Uh, where you can be a hands-free. That that would be the best thing to do and refine the law and make it a criminal aspect, meaning like a speeding ticket that goes against your insurance. They're already doing enough education work on it. They just need to have some teeth that goes along with that. 
And the law, we feel like, is so poorly written, you know, we're just not out here enforcing that on that end of it. It's harder when you have a device that's on your side that sends you emails and is giving you text messages and, and it's ringing constantly, not to pick that up. You go to other states and you can't have a cell phone at all. You know, if they even see you with a cell phone, the police will stop you. It's kind of like in some states, if, if your windshield wipers are on, your lights have to be on. If they're not on, you get a ticket. It's similar to that. And if you go to other states, those people are abiding by the law and think we need something here similar to that. At issue, executive producer Mark Rigsby with Oxford Police Chief Joey East on Mississippi's texting and driving law. At issue airs tonight at 730 on MPB TV. Coming up after Mississippi edition, it's Gestalt Gardner. Next stop, Mississippi and Southern Remedy for Women. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. I hope you have a great weekend and that you'll join us again Monday morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition. Only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Grammy Museum Mississippi, presenting Blues Family Day, a day full of music, arts activities, and dance with guest Vasti Jackson, October 9th, 2 to 5.30 p.m. Details at grammymuseumms.org. It's Marketplace Tech for Friday.